Hello everyone, this is Dr. Garana. Welcome to my podcast. Allow me to guide you through the topics about hair loss, hair restoration, hair therapy, hair science, and hair industry with the world's greatest experts. This is Hair on Air. Welcome to our first episode of Hair on Air podcast devoted to hair loss, hair restoration, and hair therapies. To have Today I have a great honor and pleasure to host Dr. Jeffrey Epstein, one of the uh, most known hair restoration surgeons of the world. Uh, he has been in private practice for over 25 years, performing exclusive and exquisite hair restoration work. Uh, and also he's an assistant professor at the University of Miami Medical School, uh, Department of Dermatology and ENT. It is wonderful to have you in our podcast, Dr. Epstein. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to the studio. It looks familiar. Does it really? Yeah, it feels like home. Wonderful. So what we're going to talk about today, is you're going to clarify to our listeners um, how hair restoration is a real aesthetic procedure. Are you ready? I'm so ready. You're, you're in store for a wonderful podcast. I, I couldn't find a better guest to talk about this topic with. So how would you describe hair restoration of 21st century in simple explanation, simple words so anyone out there can understand what to seek for? Yeah, this is clearly not your father's hair transplant anymore. Uh, the field has come quite a bit in terms of becoming um, a truly aesthetic procedure, uh, arguably. There's been more developments in technique and therefore outcomes in this procedure or the specialty than any other field of plastic surgery. And with the improvement in outcomes has come uh, an improvement in the reputation of the procedure and those that perform them. So that's what we have today. It's really is uh, one of the plastic surgery procedures. How do you achieve that aesthetic result? In other words, how can someone not tell that one underwent hair transplant procedure? I think I have a pretty good eye for beauty uh, and for things that look nice. Um, but some of it can't be taught. Some of it can. I mean, I'm constantly lecturing on, for example, hairline design. I just conducted a workshop. Um, so the key things, that are the key elements of a hair restoration, a really excellent hair restoration, is it has to look natural. So the components that go into creating a natural look include, obviously, appropriate and aesthetic hairline design, how it potentially recedes, or in a woman, it's how it rounds out. The use of all single hairs closely followed by two hair grafts along a hairline, achieving varying zones of density. So you want greater density centrally as opposed to here a little bit more feathered, although that can be varied. And then the angulation of the hairs. So that's, to me, that's what I found. What do you find? I mean, what do you think are the keys to an aesthetic hairline? Um, surprisingly, we don't have that much different of a technique. 
So I would follow what you said. It's basically uh, the cho choice of best grafts. Sometimes we need single grafts. Sometimes we need bigger grafts. We need to have good angulation. So what I like, for example, is when a patient has existing hair, I tell him not to shave that hair so I can follow his natural hairs and place uh, incisions for future hair transplant. Um, then, of course, uh, the natural shape of that hair. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why we don't look, we don't look only at, at, the, at the hair, we look at the entire face. Would you agree that? So we can sort of match the width of the face or if, if there is a pointy chin, we cannot make wide hairlines and, and so forth. So it's not that simple. It's not really, uh, some, would t some would say, oh, you just take a graft out and you put it back in, but there is so many details mm -hmm. in how to do it right. You consider yourself detail-oriented, I take it. <laughs> I'm very detailed. That's why I do this. So, so do you, I guess. Yeah, it's nice. Um, so what, would, um, what should patient expect from his surgery? In other words, um, uh, how, how do you define a, a, a poor to great candidate for hair transplantation? Um. Well, I think the first part is more interesting. What should a patient expect? Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to tell a patient what to expect. I think every, every patient has his own ideals of what he's looking for. I personally, I wouldn't accept anything less than basically perfection. I get the same feeling, the, the, the feeling that that's the same with you. Uh, and obviously most of my patients choose to have me as their surgeon are willing to go through the extra, um, you know, work and or the extra expense to have work that they know, you know, confident that's going to look really natural. But interestingly, there's many patients that, you know, don't view it that way. Um, and I'm not saying everyone in the world has to drive a Ferrari or, you know, there's not very wonderful to go ahead and drive, you know, a regular Beamer or even a Honda or a Toyota. Um, but I think when it comes to something that's permanent, why anyone would want to compromise that makes no sense. But clearly, that's not necessarily on the mind of most people. I think they see price tags and or convenience. Oh, this doctor's local. Why should I not go to him or her? Uh, but many times that that's not in their best interest. What do you think? How much are patients educated in this sense when they search for their hair doctor? Well, I think being overly educated can be just as dangerous as being under-educated. Because an overly educated patient, in my opinion, I like when patients are informed. But ultimately, when they come to me, it's like when I bring, if I bring my car to a repair shop, I'm going to say, well, what screwdriver do you use to fix my, you know, change my oil? I'm going to say, you're going to get it done right. Same thing when I, someone, you know, if I have work done in my house or, so it's the same thing. I mean, the, the, the patient should basically come to the surgeon and say, what do you recommend? Let me give you my thoughts, but then don't nick, nickel and dime or nitpick as to how the procedure is going to be performed. So that's the difference between a highly educated patient and an overly informed patient that cannot yield control. Right. And I always tell my patients, you come to me, let me do the worrying. I want to hear what you want, and I'm going to make sure I do everything I can to reach or attain those goals. To me, those are my best, my favorite kind of patients. You agree? I totally agree. There is some, some um, 
trust that should be developed right from that first consultation. And I always tell patients, sleep on it, make your decision, and, and let me do my work if you really trust me. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, it's you have to trust your doctor. No, I think when a patient walks in, you should say, if you go to surgery tomorrow, I'll discount it and get them to go in. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that the way you work? It's not, that's not what we do, is it? I, I, don't, I, I don't think so. Okay, good. I don't think so. Um, as you were saying, this, this interaction, as you were talking about this interaction between a patient and a doctor, how much are you willing to compromise when someone comes with a clear idea what they want mm -hmm. and you don't think that's the best way to go in terms of, let's say, hairline design? Mm -hmm. I'm one of those guys that probably is in the mid middle, a little more towards the conservative edge. There's some surgeons who are ridiculously conservative as far as I'm concerned. They won't even touch anyone under 28 or 30 years old. Then there's others that will bring any and all comers. And unfortunately, that, that kind of um, approach is all too common. Uh, particularly amongst the hungrier surgeons. When I say hungrier, they're hungrier for cases. I don't think they're hungry for food. I think they're probably well-fed. They make enough money, but it's never enough. Um, I think every patient needs to ha be treated with respect. I think older patients are better able to make wise decisions that are not just short-term, but thinking about the long-term. So clearly a 24-year-old comes in and tells me, you know, he wants his hairline like that. You know, I'm basically going to say it really doesn't make sense and I won't do that. Same time, a patient comes in who's 48 years old, you know, or 30, 38, 38 years old, and, you know, obviously wiser. And um, they can be educated and say, well, let's say they want a hairline lowering surgery instead of hair transplants, hairline lowering surgery. You know, they, some doctors say, well, that's verboten, you know, it's forbidden. You should never do that on any patient under 50. Well, I disagree. I'll talk with them and say, listen, you know, you're 38, maybe you're 44, 45, you may start receding and that may not have been the best approach. However, we can always, a long term may not have been the best approach. However, we can deal with it. And let me tell you how we can deal with, you know, deal with it. At the same time, we don't, and make it all look natural. But at the same time, we don't want to overly promise and, and rely on technology. For example, cloning, that's a, another big thing. You know, cloning's years, at least five to eight years away. And, you know, so we don't want to rely on, on, on future therapies that have not yet been proven. Interesting. Was that, in, was that, was that interesting? That was very interesting. That, okay, good. Any, any, any thoughts about that? Or? No, I agree. There is always uh, the, the best ways to communi communicate with your patient. And then when patients understand and they're giving an information beforehand, mm -hmm. it's much better than to sometimes to give an explanation after the the result that he expected is not delivered and that's more like an excuse mm -hmm. uh, right. instead of uh, informing them uh, right uh, right away. I'll give you an example. I, I, around five years ago, six years ago, I did a, I remember a patient came in, a gentleman from, from, uh, from the Far East, from the Pacific Rim rather, and he wanted his, his eyebrows done. But he wanted very rounded, you know, ar rather very arched eyebrows. And I, you know, I didn't want to say that's not for guys. That's a very feminine look. But he clearly wanted that approach. And so I was more than compliant. Came back a year later. And that was part of his gender, you know, reaffirmation process. He and had now transitioned. Couldn't tell at the time. And he had no, didn't, and he didn't want to say this is part of my transitioning. But that's clearly was part of his plan. So I'm glad you stayed open and make his wish come true. Of course. That's what I try to do. <laughs>
As you mentioned, eyebrow restoration. I know that you do eyebrow restoration, beard restoration, you do body hair transplantation, you take hairs from anywhere there are and place them anywhere a patient wants. You do surgical hair investment. There's so many topics to talk to you about with, but I wanna stick to this topic of excellence in hair transplantation field, because I know your work and I know your dedication. And in my opinion, there's three things that define uh, a, a hair restoration process that is technique, that is technology, and there is the team that works around the patient. Um, so how do you manage these three things? In, in How do you, uh, do you rely on technology in terms of following what is out there new, what is available, what you think is best for your, your technique? Mm -hmm. I think you missed a fourth element, and that's passion. You can tell if a surgeon has passion because he's going to have utilized the best technique, he's going to have t his team is going to be devoted, and he's going to stay up to date on technology. And I will say that's something that a lot of older surgeons tend to get lazy. That's something that with the infusion of your energy into my professional and personal life, uh, has provided me with a, a, a wonderful um, rejuvenation uh, energy towards doing, even taking, like being open to, to the, the evolution and, and improving my, ever, ever improving my techniques. So how do I manage everything? Well, I mean, it starts with the surgeon. It's just an insistence on perfection. So I'm always going to use the best technique. And I'm also going to try to have a good rapport with my patients. That's I think, is so key, having that connection. And trust. If you're going to add another T, it requires trust on the part of the patient. As far as technique and then technology, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to make things better, but I'm not going to just envelop every new technology, embrace it, and start promoting it and saying this is the newest technology because many times that's, that's um, putting the, the, the horse before the, the buggy and you don't know whether the buggy before the horse. And then finally, my team. I mean, my team, you know, is constantly getting compliments because I give them tremendous credit. They're, they're an essential part and they know how devoted they, I am to them, uh, but they also similarly um, return that devotion and they take tremendous pride in their work. But it starts from you. The team sees your passion and your devotion uh, to work and to excellence and that then they just follow and you know that uh, they will in a way um, misuse your trust if they do not try at least to deliver excellence as, as you are. Yeah. And also if they don't feel valued, you know, I don't, they don't have to work for me. They want to work with, with me and they want to be part of that team. Um, I think all too often people get into positions of power and they suddenly think that they can be dictatorial. And it's not an oligarchy. It's not a monarchy. It's basically, it's, a, it's certainly not communism, but it's certainly communal, you know, working together to create a, um, you know, a product that everyone is recognized for the value of their work. That's really well said. I totally resonate with that. And I always say thank you. I must say thank you 10, 15 times a day to my team. Your team knows that. I've seen that. I've witnessed yeah. that firsthand. Yeah. So when we talk about the team and what you do versus what they do, there are certain parts of hair restoration that you don't need to do that could be 
safely and effectively done by your team, mm -hmm. your nurses, your technicians. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you organize that? Where you feel confident that your team will do their work properly? Um, what part of the procedure would that be? Mm -hmm. I'm the conductor, but I'm not playing every instrument. I don't think it's necessary for me to play every instrument to make great music. Um, I'm the con conductor and I'm also the composer. Uh, I am also the one that makes every recipient site. If we're going to go away from the music, musical uh, analogy, I make every recipient site. I think it's key. I make specific size recipient sites for specific size graphs. Because I have such a large team of 14 full-time assistants, I'm able to have certain people that do certain things really well. I also have two nurse practitioners, so that's they're largely involved with the extra graft extraction process. Given today's devices, the newest devices, I think you're going to have one of the developers in a future episode, the WAS system, Dr. Devois, who's a personal friend of ours. Um, that device, it's not foolproof, but far better than any other technology, including the more of the robotic type techniques, at least the way it is today. And done properly, it, these, these, um, these devices can yield excellent graphs, but I'm in control of you know, how many graphs are being extracted per area, and then how the graphs are dissected down under the microscope, and then of course, how they're then handled and, to, and then planted. So that's all, I know everything. <laughs> my, my girls know, and my team you knows. You really think you know everything? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm aware of, every, of almost everything. And they know that, and it's not a, it's not to do fear. It's to let them know that I'm I'm there, and that's also I'm always constantly I'm constantly going returning to the rooms to make sure that you know the room to make sure that the procedure is going the way I, I visualize it. And no patient leaves my operating room, like I'm sure you do as well. No patient leaves that operating room until I'm fully satisfied because that's my work, and that's the patient's life, and they deserve the best result uh, until. Both the patient and us are satisfied. Right. That's, they, they don't leave the room. Um, so one last question for you. Last question? I know. This but is you have, really so many, going, you have so many questions. This is really going well, but I'm trying to stay in the, in the, in the scope of time. Um, you mentioned passion in, 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 in previous talk, and, and um, I think that's what defined going to work or, or, or just having fun with what you do. And, and when you have that drive and that passion, then work is not work in that heavy sense of, of obligation. Um, so what, would, what is the major reason why doctors do not achieve excellency in their work? Uh, complacency. Mm -hmm. um, it's not necessarily an incredible, tr a wonderful trait all the time to be pursuing perfection, but certainly... But it's so, such a delicate field. It's every hair that counts, every graph that counts. You have to be really perfectionist to do this. That's, how, we, that's how you and I view this approach, but that does, that's not necessarily uniform. Um, I think you can... Um, um, I think that... Um, that every doctor has his own way of doing things. And I think that you just have to find a, a surgeon that sort of sees the vision according to you do, how do you see it? And you, um, you know, in the case of my patients, they recognize that 
um, you know, I may not do every single step of the procedure, but I'm going to make sure that everything, at least in my opinion, in my high standards, is going to be done the right way. Yes, and there is also a difference between what patients are expecting. Some come and say, okay, just give me a little bit more hair here and I'll be just happy. Mm -hmm. But you're at, your, at the point of your career when you rarely get these patients. You, won't pay, you, won't, you get patients who would look at every single hair, how it's placed and how it looks overall rather because they come expecting the excellency that you're Yeah, or they're just going to say, they're going to trust me and say, you're going to get it done right. Although when you bring up the, the concept of just putting a little bit of hair there, there are some patients that are very happy. They're just like, I feel pretty good about myself. I just would like a little more density. By all means, that's, I mean, those are, you know, easier goals to achieve and those certainly right. are realistic goals for some patients. But yeah, I think that uh, my patients tend to um, they, they tend not to be, fortunately, they tend not to be uh, overly controlling. I think they just trust me. And, um, but they want to, I mean, most of these people are, you know, successful or care about how they look and how they're viewed. So they want to, they don't want to take chances. I fully understand them and I know they're at the right place. You only get one chance in life. Why not do everything as well as it can be done without going crazy? Exactly. That's I my agree. philosophy. I agree. Want to hear some more of my philosophies? <laughs> I wish we have more time for this, and I hope I'm going to have you back in our podcast. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom. You're very welcome. And your uh, professional and personal experience in life. Well, thank you. I hope you will um, invite me back again sometime in the future. Hope you'll remember me uh, as, the, as the, <laughs> the initial episode. And I have no doubt that uh, this is going to be a well-received uh, and enjoyable podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Epstein. So wonderful from you. Thank you. And you're welcome. <laughs>